are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Only here, lastwordonsports.com. What's up, Internet? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio here at LastWordOnSports.com. It is Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. Happy Groundhog's Day, fitting, given it's fitting that we're talking about chaos in the U.S. Soccer Federation. Um, got plenty of stuff to talk about on the U.S. front, both men's and women's, and the greater upper-level politics that have been happening as a Red Wedding slash Night of Long Knives has happened in the fallout from the Greg Berhalter investigation. To talk about these, amongst many other things, Rachel Krieger and Edward Vento. Rachel, hello. Matt, I'm going to be totally honest. I moved back to Pennsylvania and I completely forgot today was Groundhog Day. Like, I feel like such a bad Pennsylvanian today. Like, you have no idea. <laughs> is, is Groundhog's Day more important in, in Pennsylvania? Well, because Punxsutawney. I have no idea what, what or who or if that is. Okay, you know what? We're we're gonna have a thirty minute learning session after the podcast tonight. Summarize it to for thirty seconds it. so that I can say hi to Ed and introduce him. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I said after the podcast. After the podcast, I'm gonna bring my whiteboard out and everything. No, it's like a big Pennsylvania thing, and yeah, just watch the movie. It's terrible. Oh, I've seen the movie. Oh, is it does it take place in Pitts in Pennsylvania? Is that what it is? Well, and two second story because we're gonna get Edward here. Evidently, I guess when like Bill Murray and them all went to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, they were like, "Wow, this place is total crap. We're not filming here." And they filmed somewhere else, and we're like, "It's quote unquote set in Punxsutawney." So yeah. Alrighty then. Um, Ed, did you know these things about Groundhog's Day? And is there any anything that's haunted you as a result of Groundhog's Day? No, but I. What is it? Is it two more weeks of winter? Do we know what the result? Dude, was? six more, six or, more weeks of winter. Yeah, six more weeks of winter. That's right. Um, Dude, no, I, I, I didn't know. Any of that. <laughs> that damn groundhog always sees his darn shadow. Who cares? <laughs> Rachel, I live in Colorado. Like we, we're easily a month out before the snow actually stops ending. If you're talking about the end of ski season, which is where I would technically define the end of like we're we're going we're definitely going into May with how much powder we've gotten in the last five six weeks as well. So um, talk to me later on that, folks. Uh, a third of the MLS season will have been over by the time we get to the end of winter, as far as I'm concerned. But um, <laughs> the the long night potentially is coming, folks, in the form of darkness and uncertainty and lots of questions and maybe poor lighting going on in U.S. soccer uh, from the fallout from the last episode that Dan and I, re- Dan Sperry and I recorded talking about the Greg Berhalter incident with the coming out about the I think we can call it domestic violence incident between him and his wife in the early 90s when both of them were undergraduates at the University of North Carolina that investigation taking place and since that podcast we've now learned that Brian McBride and Ernie Stewart have both stepped away from their respective roles with U.S. soccer Brian McBride with a social media post uh, claiming that he was reflecting on it at the end of the World Cup and felt that the time was right for him to move on take a little break and then maybe do something and Ernie Stewart has already been announced uh, going back to the area Vizzy going back to the Netherlands, where he will be taking over as the technical director of PSV Eindhoven. He's served in similar roles um, for lower clubs in the air Eredivisie um, uh, early in his career, earlier in his sporting director career, which would have predated him joining the Philadelphia Union in the front office. Ed, I will throw it to you first, your thoughts on these two things. And I find the timing of this awfully convenient that we didn't find out about this you know, like right when the World Cup ended or in the month since? Yeah, um, I'm not surprised, um, to say the least. I think this was a long time coming. I think when they failed to qualify in for 2018, they really needed to take a good long look in the mirror at everything top to bottom. And the fact that it's taken them this long, if you want to say that that's what this is, is a little concerning. Um, reports were that they knew what was happening before the World Cup even started. I don't know if you guys saw that anywhere, but I saw somewhere that McBride and Stewart, or one or the other, had told them of their 
moved to step down before the World Cup. So the fact that they waited definitely is convenient for them. Rachel, um, I'm curious, you know, I understand I'm I've historically been the Greg Berhalter apologist on this podcast. I was not that in the last episode. I want to make this abundantly clear. Um, And while I'm generally in the camp of you don't have a head coach for longer than one World Cup cycle, we've seen both in the U.S. and elsewhere that that doesn't have a good track record, even if the ending is generally positive for that head coach, which I would say ultimately the ending from a sporting standpoint with Greg Berhalter was positive getting out of the group in um, at the World Cup. And then obviously the two trophies that he added in the form of the Gold Cup and then the um, uh, and then the Nations League as well were certainly positive. The technical directors and other stuff, that's where you're overseeing more than just necessarily the first team. I guess, you know, Bur- um, McBride would have been the national teams respectively on the men's side going down maybe at the youth levels to where you want a little bit of continuity if you're talking about an under-17 becoming an under-19 player. And then if we're talking about current U-19 players, several of them could be in contention for the squad in 2026 and then similarly technical director you kind of want to have that overseeing approach you know that you would want from that you know head coaches come and go but then maybe a uh, you know a sporting director or a general manager for a sports team that is looking to have an upward trajectory you want to have that continuity of personnel assuming that they're doing a good job I think there's a valid question with what Brian McBride it's still not entirely clear to me what his role was actually so maybe I think that speaks to the lack of clarity and certainty going on there Um, and I think Ernie Stewart I think is an interesting situation I'm not going to discredit probably going to a good situation situation at PSV to where he knows that he can be individually successful in. And if he knew right away that he didn't want to stick around through the end of the 2026 World Cup, I can understand that. And maybe it was a function of timing of the opportunity in the Netherlands rather than the convenience of it, of it happening with the um, uh, with the investigation. But uh, Rachel, your thoughts. And I mean, just the again, we're coming out of a World Cup cycle and there's a bunch of hirings that need to be made in theory. Ernie Stewart's replacement should be heavily involved, if not the main decision maker, on who is Greg Berhalter's replacement and or if Greg Berhalter is staying on. So it feels like we just it, it feels like it feels like Groundhog's Day and it's post 2018 and Dave Sarakin's there and nobody's hired. And the difference is I have slightly more confidence in Cindy Parlo Cohn than I did in Sunil Galati at the time. There was a lot there. So what was the question? <laughs> We've done that before, Matt. <laughs> okay. Um. Uh, your thoughts generally on the timing of it and the the lack of now leader, the massive vacancy of leadership that we have in the um in in U.S. soccer, like in line with the. This is going to be a horrible analogy, folks. But after January 6th and basically half of Trump's cabinet leaves and like for two weeks, you basically just didn't have, albeit those lame duck positions filled and everything. It feels similar to that where I'm I'm questioning who's making the decisions, Rachel, and then how we're going to go about filling all of these roles and then filling them in a timely manner. Other than the fact that I have more belief in Cindy Parlocone than I did in Sunil Galati. Yeah, I mean... You know, first and foremost, definitely more belief in Cindy Parloco. She has done so much really on both sides of the ball. And she cares that she, she know, you know, she cares about all of the national teams, not just the one that she played for, which was the U.S. women's national team. Um, I think she's done some really good work as president. Um, and I think, you know, I wasn't too surprised in regard to them leaving, like, you know, may, I don't really know what it is. Was it the opportunity? Was it just that they wanted, you know, to get out with, you know, b- before anything happened to them? I don't know. But like, I, I think U.S. soccer does need to get out of this, um, this kind of like shtick of everybody knowing everybody, like the general, like, I, I guarantee you, Claudia Reyna probably has like at least Brian McBride's number. Or maybe Ernie Stewart. I mean, him and Ernie Stewart go back too. So like, I don't know. I think just the idea of like cleaning the house on the men's side is good. But like, we all know the importance of the 2026 World Cup. Um, It's going to be on home soil. And we want to put on not just a good show, but like a good performance. um, And actually like show that, you know, we're contenders on the world stage. Um, and, and really, to be honest with you, build off of what they did in Qatar, because they actually had a pretty decent tournament, all things considered. Um, so, yeah, cleaning the house, it doesn't really bother me that much. I don't like how it went down with Claudia Reyna basically blackmailing Greg Berhalter. 
Um, but at the same time, like, just I knew Greg Berhalter wasn't going to be. I, I have no problem with him like not coming back and everything. And you know, U.S. Soccer pretty much pointing to all the signs that like he's not going to come back. But the way it happened shouldn't have happened. Um, but you know, with that said, to your original point, I don't think too much time should be allowed to pass before those decisions get like those positions get filled because the gold cup is coming around the corner you know this what yeah this summer there's going to be a gold cup and i think the team does take the tournament seriously you know we beat mexico two years ago and i know they want to do it again so yeah i i don't think the position should be vacant for that long i think it should be pretty high up on you know everyone's radar to get them filled in whatever order they feel like they need to and to your point, Rachel, I think it's a valid question. Most of the people that we've seen that have had a role in U.S. soccer have almost been like career soccer politicians. If you're talking about Sunil Gulati, like his original folks, he was into soccer, <clears throat> but he was an economics professor at Columbia before that, in case you were wondering where his role was. So it's it's people that kind of have that trajectory, building that out of a 15 or 20 years moving up the ranks in U.S. soccer, or it's been former players as well. So that's why, honestly, folks, I don't know who you hire as Ernie Stewart's replacement. If you're talking about the we can't have any more of this nepotism or perceived nepotism, we have to go away from that completely. I don't know that I have an obvious candidate to think about. I know men in blazers have kind of been hyping up the American who was the former, um, not technical director, but like on the business side at, um, at Nottingham forest, I think potentially is an option, but <clears throat> I don't know who you would put in here because my first thought would be is who's a good former player who has an understanding of what's, what it means to play in a world cup, what it means to host a world cup, not necessarily that they had to be on the team in 1996 that's done good things at the sporting level at the club level but then ultimately i'm just appointing a guy that would understandably be perceived as part of the the good old boys club that clearly we need to go away from this so i don't know how to i i don't even know who that person would be and again i think that person needs to get put in place um all this is happening in the midst of the still investigation going on in which Cindy parlo clone indicated is ongoing and that Greg Berhalter is still a candidate for the head coaching job, which I assume has been put on pause until Ernie Stewart's replacement is ultimately hired. But even then, you're investigating a now former employee who's out of contract, and I don't know a way for you to punish them. I don't know. Could you? Could you? Can you legally retroactively fine a uh, fine an employee? out of their salary that you've already paid them for something that happened before they were even your employee because it happened 30 year plus years ago. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not a legal expert. And then I think, so then the only other way then potentially to punish Burhalter is to effectively remove him from the candidacy from that. And you could even go further to say, you're not going to have any role in us soccer for X period of time. We could effectively suspend blackball you for a period of time. So I don't know what's going to happen with that as all. Um, Ed, we have not gotten your thoughts on that with everything that has come out since the last time you were on the podcast. Um, I mean, you were already kind of not, thank you, Greg Berhalter, but not him. I mean, does this change the calculus for you in terms of evaluating him as a potential future head coach or, or on some level, does this confirm what you were already thinking that he shouldn't be returned? I don't necessarily think it does either. Either of those two things, to be honest with you, um, it's really unfortunate what happened um i don't can what greg did 30 years ago i wouldn't condone it if it was done 30 years ago i wouldn't condone it if it was done today but the fact they worked through it you know he got help he you know seek therapy and made amends with her family and now they have kids and have been happily married the fact that it had to come out this way is really really unfortunate for them um and the Reinas are just, I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> and then kind of shoehorning this whole thing. But no, I don't think it changes my opinion one way or the other. I I wouldn't have wanted him back. I didn't want him back before this happened. I still don't want him back. But yeah, it was just a whirlwind of news that came streaming in about Greg. And I kind of was hard to keep up with. And then you had the Reina part come in later on. and. It, it's just like now the, you know, Ernie Stewart and McBride are out. It's just been an insane month and a half, two months since the World Cup. 
Absolutely. I guess one thing that we didn't mention as well, folks, as far as people leaving their jobs, uh, Claudio Reyna has stepped down as the technical director at Austin FC and will remain an advisor. What does that mean in terms of how involved he is in the club and how much of the money the club is actually paying him? But obviously you're talking about a club that was owned by Anthony Precourt, who used to own Columbus Crew, and Anthony Precourt was at Columbus when they hired Greg Berhalter, and he seemed to really like him as well. So I, ironically, guys, the the only person who's been unscathed since this has come out and maybe the only person who's handled everything maturely has been Gio Reyna because the only really public statement we've seen from him in all caps was maybe his celebration for that goal that he scored um, against uh, the goal that he scored for um uh, for Dortmund um, and, you know, put the hands to the ears, maybe saying like, I don't, I don't know, I don't hear the criticism or I'm drowning out the noise and just focusing on my football. There are a number of ways that you can interpret that, but he hasn't had something else horrible come out about an action that he took, nor has he done, nor has he had to apologize for anything. You know, I suppose Greg immediately got ahead of him with, you know, starting his Twitter account that we for a couple of minutes there had to think, is this actually him or is this a troll? It doesn't have the blue check mark. I don't know. Um, you know, so I think he handled the situation, I think, as gracefully as you could in that situation. But other than that, like, Gio hasn't said anything. He's kept his head down. Um, I think it's a good sign, at least for me in the aftermath of all of this, that while his parents certainly haven't been mature, been playing dirty as well, that since his post on Instagram, he's just kind of kept his head down and focused on what he's doing. And regardless of who the head coach is for um, the U.S. men's national team going forward, um, I think that certainly bodes him well in terms of his progressing and growing, maturing as a human being, um, and certainly as a professional who will need to earn the good graces of that head coach when it comes in. Rachel... You're the closest thing we have to a therapist on this podcast. Talk me through how I have to deal with the fact that Anthony Hudson could legitimately be coaching this team through the Nations League. And I, I was fine with Dave Sarakin because, again, he knew he was a substitute teacher and he had actually won stuff in MLS as well. But like this guy, the only person in American soccer in the last decade who has failed upward better than him has been Chris Armas. And at the very least, Chris Armas has a decent chance of getting relegated and fired at the end of the year. Uh, you know, I knew the person who would take this hard and the last word on soccer family the most would be Matt. Um, I, I don't know, man. It's just Anthony Precourt. I, I saw something too when they lost, the U.S. lost their first friendly Um, that like in the last like 10 or like it was last 10 or 12 games. He has coached internationally, have all been losses. Um, so that's not great. Yeah, I feel like if any anybody would think that they had a shot at being the national team coach, it may be him. But yeah, I don't think there's any chance. I do think some names that are being tossed around like Mourinho and Chiche are a little, you know, out of the out of the ballpark. I appreciate like who was the coach that US soccer was like it was it Zinedine Zidane. Or, or someone who they were like, yeah, we're going to attempt to like reach out to them. But they said, no, I mean, Hey, it, it doesn't hurt to ask. Um, but I can honestly say like, if, if we end up with Anthony Hudson coaching us at the, at the gold cup, I will have a lot of questions for Cindy Parlow Cohn and anyone who is hired in like a general manager or sporting director or whatever capacity for us soccer. Cause that's a hire that, Yes, you have to get it right. But at the same time, like it needs to, you know, they need to figure it out sooner rather than later. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing someone from MLS jump up to that coaching rank. You know, we've seen that with NWSL with Blacko and Donoski. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just don't think, you know, Hudson is obviously not the future of our, of the team. And I don't really like, trust the development of players say like outside of a January camp like it's one thing to call in a January camp whenever it's it's you know in the history of January camp always been these young guys MLS players that are getting looked at um and it's really kind of like a combine if you will but like when we have a our, our first international break and it's a FIFA international break and everybody is up for selection I mean <laughs> I don't want Anthony Hudson picking that roster. Um, I don't know. And it's nothing against the guy personally. He was very nice with media and, and very gracious. But yeah, he just he's he's not the solution right now.
Uh, he he got a little punchy there towards the end in Colorado, Rachel, as I can personally attest to. But uh, so to your point, Rachel, uh, Anthony Hudson's now still winless streak as a head coach, club and country now extends all the way back to decision day 2018. Because remember, he got fired before the Rapids got their first win in 2019. And then obviously he hasn't been a head coach again in a role um, and, until uh, until these two friendlies that we've had. Um, so I I don't want Anthony Hudson in, in that role, obviously. And to the listeners who are kind of wondering, well, you know, we've got a whole World Cup cycle to go and everything. I have a I, I feel pretty confident in saying that most of the guys who've been regular first teamers are going to get most of this calendar year off, given just the nonstop situation they've had basically since Project Restart. If you're talking about the guys in the premiership. Um and so then you're talking about where's, you know, let me call in like a semi, like an A minus B plus team probably for the Gold Cup. And let me try and suss out where, like, let me take 2023 to figure out who my bench is going to be going into Copa America qualification or something like that, I think is a valid you know, it's a valid thing to talk about. And then also you're looking at it where there's going to be a, an Olympics between now and three and a half years when the World Cup happens. Does the regular national team head coach officially take that position since you're talking about, again, another group of young fringe guys? Or do they appoint like maybe one of their assistants? So if you're talking about if Greg Berhalter really cared about that, would he have wanted to have Josh Wolf or Luchi Gonzalez, depending on what year it was in that role? I would have been personally fine with that. To your point, Rachel, about bringing in somebody from MLS, I think there's one candidate, one candidate. Obviously, I think it's Jim Curtin. Everything that he's done, his ability to be tactically flexible, I think is certainly really important. Um, his ability to build a really good locker room culture, obviously something Berhalter did really well. And I think he's more relatable and more excitable from a get guys, you know, rallied up, you know, once more into the breach kind of a speech that certainly Greg fell really flat at not to say that there weren't players that were able to do that so I think it's Jim Curtin or nobody if you're talking about guys within MLS um Ed is there anybody uh, I know I feel like we talked about this at some point briefly but I know I know we were throwing out Jesse Marsh at times is there any candidate out there available or otherwise that you think would be realistic that you'd like to see them take a stab at well uh, you said realistic. Now I have to rethink what I was going to say. But to be honest, I am a hundred percent all in on Jose Mourinho. If they wanted to bring if they wanted to bring him in. Maybe it's the Spurs fan in me. Uh, I still firmly believe that if we had not sacked him before the EFL Cup final, we would have won our first trophy in fifteen years. But that's another story for another podcast. He brings he brings a sort of box office fire to the touchline that I don't think we've ever seen in in men's soccer history as far as a coach goes. The minute he walks into the room, he's going to demand the respect of each and every player. He's going to demand their attention. I He's already said in multiple interviews in the past that he thinks that there are a lot of good players in the U.S. pool and he likes a lot of their players, barring what he's done to Brian Reynolds at Roma, basically exiling him. But I don't know. Just, I just, I love, I love Mourinho. Something about him. I just, I really like him. So that'd be like my far fetched answer. I know you said realistic. I don't think it's very realistic, but ah, man, I can't say I wouldn't love it. I'm going to disagree with you, Edward. I, I will admit the, in the alternate universe where this does take place and there's a behind the scenes, you know, an all or nothing or a hard knocks or something like that done or a, like a Sunderland till I die kind of a, a program about that. That universe's Matt Pollard variant is watching every single second of those three times on repeat, probably. Um, I realize I it's obvious for you listeners, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, that I am nowhere near where I think most of the the headspace of USMNT Twitter or unhealthy USMNT Twitter is based in. Um, Ed, you're very based. You're very reasonable. You acknowledge where that part of the fan base makes a really good point, and you acknowledge where they're full of crap and everything. The one area where I think that group in particular would absolutely lose their mind or almost be triggered was – even when Greg was able to get results or get what we wanted from a like a on paper standpoint, there were complaints about from a personnel standpoint or aesthetically or tactically and everything. Are we willing to sell our souls and every like results and then nothing else absolutely matters? Like the you want to talk about the 
the, the interesting like nightmare duality situation that people were talking about during the World Cup where Berhalter could win the World Cup and there would still be fans mad at him that we didn't do it in enough style whatsoever. I'm not going to lie. If you give me a choice between right now, like uh, I have a choice between I, I have to win the World Cup or something really bad happens to me and I have to be Greg Berhalter or Jose Mourinho. I'm picking Jose Mourinho, but I'm acknowledging any style whatsoever that we had under Greg Berhalter is dying the minute that he goes in there. But who knows uh, what's going to happen? It'd be super interesting from a media standpoint. There's a, a again, rest in peace, Grant Wall. There's an alternate universe where Grant is still with us. The U.S. men's national team is head coached by Jose Mourinho, and they have media interactions. And there's a part of me that would love to see what that happens. Um, Rachel, did you want to did you want to throw a name into the hat for who um, we should add? Since clearly Cindy Parlo Cohn is listening to us. Well, unrealistically, I want Chiche. That's my unrealistic pick. Um, but no, realistically, like I would honestly, and I know, I know he's happy in Philadelphia. I would love to see someone like Jim Curtin. Um, I, I would have said Peter Vermees if they didn't have the season that they had last year in Kansas City. Um, but I really like Jim Curtin. I think he's been really consistent in the last, like, you know, four-ish years or so. Um, and I, I think he's really built a good thing in Philadelphia. The culture seems really good there. Everybody really seems like they've bought in. And I mean, look at look at all the movement from Philadelphia, like all of the movement of, of bringing up these younger players and, you know, sending them overseas, you know, to, to big clubs, not like teeny tiny little clubs, but big clubs. I mean, look at the Aronson boys, um, Germany and Germany and England. Um, so I think Jim Curtin would probably be my realistic pick, um, although I do think that like the writing is pretty much like on the wall for it to be Jesse Marsh's job. I think that comes down to whether or not the, the interesting thing about this also, I think is just the timing of it. So, cause to your point, Rachel, I think there's a valid question of has Vermees almost been at Kansas city too long to the point where he's ingrained in that and can't necessarily pivot to your point. They haven't been as good in the last couple of years. Um, having Alan Polito out from the beginning of the season certainly didn't help them last year. And I think if, I think if you're talking about Jim Curtin, where Philadelphia union wins MLS cup, I think he immediately picks up the phone. I think he'd immediately say, I think he'd say yes today. Had they won that? I think the fact that he still feels like there's unfinished business at Philadelphia, I'm not so sure. And then similarly, I, I don't know that, I don't know that Jesse's taking that job right now. If there's still, if he's still at Leeds and there's still a chance I, I think it's pretty much I think it's cut and dry. I think if they don't get relegated, he'll be brought back for the 2023-2024 season. I don't know that he gives up coaching at a Premier League team that's dropping big money, albeit big money, mostly on Americans that have a rapport with him, that he's leaving that opportunity for the World Cup. So I don't, I don't know. We'll see if we're talking about other people that we would have as well. Um, you know, Ed, you mentioned that, you know, we need somebody who's fiery and passionate as well. Herb Renard got those Saudi Arabian players absolutely. Um, gassed up and everything imagine if we give him a couple guys that are playing regularly in the premiership i think he would certainly have some better teams as well not necessarily tactically flexible but i'm not sure jesse marsh is and Jose Mourinho certainly isn't but um we'll see so enough of that folks um we'll just touch briefly on the two friendlies that took place um recently the united states getting a one uh, a 2-1 loss to a Serbian B team um, in January camp and then a nil-nil game against Colombia. The one goal for the United States coming from Brandon Vasquez with a fantastic header set up by Julian Gressel, who's now um, with the United States, even though he's originally from Germany. I'm not sure. He's not officially cap-tied. Um, Ed, what did you think? Does it matter? Should we care? Who stood out for you? You know, of course, uh, of course I care, you know, to some level, I this uh, camp was obviously just kind of like a get these guys in here, see what they've got right now, and then come back to them later on. Um, I think a handful of guys are probably in contention to be substitutes slash maybe fringe starters going forward. If we can't get the number nine figured out, I could see Brandon Vasquez starting for the Gold Cup or the Nations League. Um, we looked okay in the first 20 minutes. They definitely looked like a team that uh, had a lot of guys making their first appearance. They looked nervous, shaky on the ball. They grew into the game. Uh, and the player that stood out was definitely Cade Cowell. 
specifically from the Serbia game. I mean, he was just running up and down the wing. Every time he was on the ball, he was electric, dribbling past defenders. He he just, he really stood out to me. I was very excited about him. I hope to see a lot of him going forward. Rachel, your thoughts on either of the two games? I mean, we, we don't particularly care about the results, folks. The Columbia game wasn't exciting, and then obviously the U.S. ended up bungling it at the end against Serbia. But, Rachel, any thoughts on the games and in particular any individuals in the context of can they make the 2026 team that uh, stood out in your eyes? Yeah, I mean, I think Kate Cal was probably the player of the the window, as, as Edward mentioned, for the United States. But I think just... Personally, for me, it was nice to see um, Paul Ariola get back in there and just like, you know, it, it's so easy for, you know, a guy like that, you know, being being so heavily involved leading up to the World Cup and then not making the roster. It would have been so easy for him to just be like, yeah, you know what, forget it. Like, I'm, I'll just retire from international soccer or whatever he chose to do. But um, he came out and he had I mean, he had decent performances. He did well. Um and so for him to come out and make the impact that he did um, and to just like stick with the team, be a real leader on the team, I thought that was really good, um, really nice to see. I mean, it's it's rusty leading up to the beginning of the MLS season, but I did think um, they did think the defense was kind of poor. I thought they were rusty um, quite a bit, but I don't remember his first name, but his last name is Neil. I think it is Neil. He Jaylen had a Neil, center back, homegrown for the LA Galaxy. Yeah, they were like, oh, he's starting his first national team game and he hasn't even made his first MLS appearance. I thought he did well in the first game. I thought second game he was a little, he was a little eh. But I mean, for the most part, he he had a pretty good camp. I thought he looked good. And, you know, I don't think he's somebody that is going to be coming through the whole way uh, leading up to 2026, like, you know, maybe in in the first couple years. But I thought he had a nice camp. I think he's somebody we'll see in, in future you know, MLS January type camps. Yeah, I'm going to focus on positions where I know they need to be filled in between now and 2026. You know, I generally like what I, I generally like Eric Williams, Williamson. I generally like Paxton Pomichol, but I think both of them, I think, clearly have a ceiling now. I don't know that that ceiling is playing regularly in Europe. And the fact is, we've got three really fantastic guys that are not going to be unseated by them anytime soon. So I'm going to look at the left back position, which, you know, would have been Jonathan Gomez in one of the games and then John Tolkien in the other. I realize fullback depth is something that we do need to work on in the next three and a half years. And I feel really, really good with, um, I feel better about the options that we have at the right back in Reggie Cannon than I do necessarily in who's backing up Jedi Robinson. And so those are two young guys who maybe haven't fully broken into the first team. You know, Tolkien's been a regular for New York Red Bulls, but surprise, a 17-year-old who runs a lot and is very physical on New York Red Bulls is getting regular minutes. And then Jonathan Gomez yet to really break in um, in La Liga with, I think he's at Real Sociedad, but he's playing mostly with the beat with the reserve team as well. So we're going to need some other options to, you know, be a more reliable option backing up um, uh, backing up Jedi Robinson. And so looking at those positions are where I'm more curious if, since um, I, I was not a big fan of what Shaq Moore did at the, the World Cup in guitar. I think that does it for talking about from a men's standpoint. Um, Rachel, let's throw it over to the U.S. women's national team. Obviously, we're looking ahead to the Women's World Cup, which is coming up in what, just three, four months now since we're talking about um, since we're officially in February and there'll be games that will be going to kicked off in June. Uh, the women's team uh, just finished up their uh, friendly series, walkabout, whatever you want to call it, going out to New Zealand and getting some pretty decent results. We've got, what, two weeks now until the start of the She Believes Cup. Um, Rachel, how did you feel about the trip to New Zealand and everything that happened in there? How are you feeling about the She Believes Cup? You know, New Zealand is one of those teams like, Brazil that I, I want I just want to root so hard for and I want them to be good and albeit Brazil you know usually they they do well in tournaments they at least get to knockout rounds and stuff New Zealand I mean it was a good I appreciate U.S. soccer getting out of their comfort zone and saying like go play in New Zealand you're gonna have a couple games there you could potentially have some knockout round games there but I don't think the test was good I would have much rather than played a team like um Australia in um in, in Australia or New Zealand. Um, the U.S. kind of walked 
uh, all over all over New Zealand. In the first game, I know the first half wasn't good, but then the second half they scored, I think, like four or five goals. And then in the second game, it was just total dominance. Um, but, I mean, good good on them for getting out of their comfort zone and going over to New Zealand um, for, for those games because they're going to have to get used to that time change and whatnot um, and in the playing conditions and, and, and everything over there. Um, yeah, she believes cup is coming up. I think it's a, I think it's a good slew of teams. Um, us, Brazil, Canada, and, uh, and Japan. I think Japan has quietly been, um, a resurgent team. They didn't have the best 2019 world cup, but it, they had the middle they blew through, um, uh, Asian qualifying and they were really, really good. And there's some really young standout players, uh, for Japan. They kind of got rid of their old guard and, brought in this new guard that they kind of tinkered with um, ahead of the 2019 World Cup. Um, and, and they've just been playing really, really well. Um, Brazil, I think Brazil is always within that arm's reach. I think long gone are the days, though, uh, that you're relying on Marta. Um, she's coming back from that ACL injury. She's on their roster. But the focus is pretty much now on players like Ari Borges, who is now with, I think she's with Racing Louisville. Um, Carolyn, who is with North Carolina, um, and, and a handful of others. Um, Canada's Canada. They've always been the other tough team from CONCACAF. Um, I think what Beth Priestman is doing with that group is just, you know, second to none. She's one of the best coaches, um, in women's soccer, just in general, period, exclamation point. Um, and then the U.S. soccer roster, I mean, their roster was pretty, pretty standard. There was no Sam Coffey, uh, no, um, oh, who was the other player that everybody was like, she may come in and she may, oh, Emily Madrill, who just uh, got drafted by the Orlando Pride. There was some questions of, is she going to be on the roster? She's not. Um, Katarina Macario, Sophia Smith are, are still, you know, dealing with some injuries, some recovery, um, on that front. Um, I, I'll say it till the day, you know, till the day I die. I, I wish Mia Fisher would have been on this roster. I think she has done more than enough to prove that she should be on the U.S. Women's National Team roster. Um, like five months ago, one of the one of the last times I talked to Blacko Andonovsky, I said, hey, what about Mia Fischel? Um, and he was like, well, I want to see some consistency from her. And he said that while she was leaving the Golden Boot race in Mexico, and two months later, she won the Golden Boot. Um, but anyway, uh, the, biggest, the biggest thing from the roster for me, I didn't really care for the swap out of Haley Mace, um, Haley Mace is out and Emily Sonnet is in. I've never really been a big Emily Sonnet believer. I've always been very critical of the U.S. defense because they kind of have, do you guys remember Fabian Johnson and how they were like, couldn't ha- find a like left back. And so they were just like, he knows how to play every position. We'll put him there. That's pretty much what the U.S. women's national team has been doing. Um, basically since like the retirement of Shannon Box. Um, and so, yeah, they're just they're just tinkering around with that position. I think Mace is really good in it, and I don't think Emily Sonnet has had the career that maybe she's wanted to have. Um, and I don't I don't really care for her in on the international level either. I think she's gotten smoked a few times. Um, so I mean, I'd rather see her than I would Kelly O'Hara, um, but I would rather see Emily May or Haley Mace uh, over both of them. But other than that, it was a pretty standard roster, and I'm still getting used to the fact that Mallory Pugh changed her last name to Mallory Swanson. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Uh, Rachel, two questions that I have for you. One big omission from the uh, roster that made the trip over to New Zealand was Sophia Smith, Colorado native, and kind of a meme when it comes to goal celebrations in the NWSL. She was out with injury, has been back in the States and rehabbing and everything. Um, what's the latest on her situation? And then obviously, Samantha Mewis now out. And I think it's a valid question. What's going on for her as the lead up to the World Cup? Yeah, so I'll start with the Mewis thing first because that's a little bit more uh, cut and dry than than the uh, Sophia Smith. I think Sophia Smith is progressing. Um, but Blacko Andonovsky, he just pretty much said, hey, look at what Sam Mewis put out for her statement. Um, Kansas City didn't really put out anything in regard to her status. She was left off of their preseason training roster, um, and they said she is, air quotes, recovering from uh, her knee injury and uh, Sam Mewis had to come out and make her own statement and gave us a lot more than that saying that, you know, she was, she felt awful about, you know, having a setback. She had to do 
another surgery on her knee. And although she didn't specifically say that she is out for the 2023 season, a lot of people are speculating and expecting that she is going to be out or she is at least going to miss the World Cup. And, you know, there's still no sign that Julie Ertz is going to come back to the NWSL or even the U.S. Women's National Team. Sam Mewis now. The U.S. has a number six problem. And I think Andy Sullivan is probably going to be your best bet in that spot. But they have been kind of teetering around with like three different players, Lindsey Horan, another Colorado um, native included in that kind of swapping. They've also used her as a number 10. She's kind of like, I guess, the Fabian Johnson of the U.S. Women's National Team, that utility player, if you will. Um, but Sophia Smith, yeah, she she is um, recovering from a foot injury. I, I think she's going to be... I think she's going to be fine ahead of the uh, NWSL season. They started their um, preseason training camps uh, just a few, just a couple weeks ago. I think I think it, we're in week two now um, of their preseason training camps. So I, I think she'll be ready to go for the start of the NWSL season. But um, I, I don't think she's going to be like we have to worry about her missing the World Cup or anything like that. Also, by the way, Jonathan Tannen, while saying that mid-February is when we're supposed to get that NWSL schedule. So I would assume uh, Sophia Smith will have the the Portland Thorns kickoff circled and ready to go on her calendar. Oh, JTT, with that reporting that is thus saving Meg Callahan's mentions and notifications and everything on Twitter. Um, Ed, anything that you want to add? Any expectations or hopes for um, the She Believes Cup or shall we move on to the roundtable? Maybe it's because I don't, I'm not as much of a diehard for the women as I am the men, but I think until I see it, I'm always going to think they're going to win every game they play and win every tournament they play in. So I expect them to win the She Believes Cup and the Women's World Cup again. All right, then. All right, then let us move on. So we're going to go to. We we don't have a whole lot to do pickums on folks, obviously, because we're not a we're not a European soccer podcast and everything. But uh, Rachel, we do have one MLS team that will actually be kicking off a competitive match this weekend. Uh, we now know the Seattle Sounders' opponent for their first match in the Club World Cup. What's going on? What do you think? Can the Seattle Sounders make it to their prefunctory loss in the final against Real Madrid? I I hope so. Um, I was reading something today about the Sounders you know the the comms folks wrote up a really nice article um about how the chemistry is just like even better than before uh there's a lot of players returning from last year's squad they obviously brought in um how do you say his name Ebar Hebar um from New York Ebar so effectively Ebar yes so effectively the H is silent in a very his uh Spanishy kind of way so Ebar Ebar yeah and and he's you know one of the great things about that is you know, he's not really on on an island all by himself. He's a Brazilian. Jao Paulo is a Brazilian. Um, uh, I, I was almost going to say Raul Rui Diaz is a Brazilian, but he's not. But I know Ebert speaks Spanish also, and so he has some Spanish-speaking guys um, on the team with him. But I think Seattle has a really good chance of, you know, everyone's already looking forward to that game against Real Madrid. That would be their next opponent if they were to be um, Al High, if if they were to win that second round game, so I think they can do it. Um, I'm excited to see the game. I'll, I'll be sneaking glances of it on my phone at basketball on Saturday. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be. I think it's going to be really cool. Just to, I, I hope a lot of fans, just of MLS in general, are are going to watch the game because whether you love or hate the Sounders, they're the first ever MLS team to represent. Uh, the CONCACAF region at this tournament because of winning CONCACAF Champions League. So uh, I think it's going to be awesome no matter what. Um, But I I really, really, really would love to see them win um, just for that juicy matchup of them in Real Madrid. Uh, Then moving on, Ed, uh, the European uh, summer 
summer transfer. The European January transfer window has officially closed shut. Uh, Weston McKenney making a move on loan from Juventus to Leeds with an option to buy. Um, reportedly somewhere in the low 30s million dollars. Or I can't remember if that was in euros or pounds. In any case, a lot of money, folks. More than uh, Leeds ultimately played for Pax and Aronson. And certainly, I think, an obligation to buy that will not be exercised unless at the very least Leeds United are in the English Premier League next year. Um, Ed, what, what do you think about this move for Weston? What do you think about Leeds kind of leading in on the Leeds United? Does this help them stay up? Stay up? Weston was linked to Spurs and to Arsenal for a majority of the season window. So I was kind of expecting him to make a move like that, where he'd still be in Europe playing at a big club. Um, but I definitely think the American contingent at Leeds had something to do with him agreeing to that move and the fact that Juventus are desperate for money right now. Um, I think Leeds, they don't need a guy like Weston McKinney. They can definitely use him. Their defensive line is just awful. They need defensive help. But this is a very important month for them. They play uh, Nottingham Forest this weekend, who they are just three points behind. I would put them in 13th or 14th if they win they have two games against man united which i think we can probably put those in as losses and then they have southampton and everton who are also in the relegation scrap so if they can get at least seven points from those three games which i think is very possible i think jesse can do jesse can get draws against chelsea brighton whatever you need and i think they can stay up so i definitely think weston helps it's not exactly what they need, but I think it'll be enough to keep them up. And I think the hope of Jesse being the U.S. manager will have to wait another year because I'm sure they'll keep him if he keeps them in the Premier League. And then one other interesting fact that we have here as well, folks, in the FA Cup, Fulham played Sunderland to a 1-1 draw. So that's going to a replay. So you've got Full America versus certainly another club, certainly in the lower tiers of English football that Americans are very familiar with from the Sunderland Until I Die two-season documentary series that was on netflix and who the winner of that will actually also end up playing Leeds. so we could have a we could have a, a we could have a, a year where you potentially have three matches two in league one in the cup um between Leeds america and then or between Leeds united states and then full america as well so we'll see what's going on with that that would be super interesting um, i'm not going to predict the sunderland versus uh versus fulham game and everything i think marco silva and company are certainly very annoyed that they're going to have to go up on a tuesday all the way up that far north to a game that isn't involving newcastle um so we'll see what squad both teams end up putting out i would anticipate that jedi and tim ream both are getting the night off from that but we'll see if it ends up being let's see it could be We'll see if it ends up being five Americans um, on the um, in the starting lineup, potentially, if that ends up being if Fulham ends up going through and seeing him in the FA Cup. But I think that does it for us, folks. Let us go on to last words. Rachel, I'll throw it to you. Anything that you want to say that you haven't gotten to say yet? Um, just two things real quick. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Rachel Krigger. There are two A's in my name, not just one. I haven't podcasted in forever. It felt so weird saying that. Um I actually lied three things because I want to tell you guys about our wonderful sponsor, uh, Icarus FC. So are you tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Are you looking for a completely unique custom kit for your Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams today at an affordable price with the motto, any design you want. Seriously, let them help you create the custom kit of your dreams today at icarusfc.com and then good news i got another job um i have said that like three times in the past two years i know it's crazy but i'm very happy that it's it's all coming full circle for me um if you saw on twitter um i'm going back to my alma mater our lady of fatima school uh, along with mary queen of saints parish as their youth minister and their communications coordinator I'm really excited about it. I'm so happy to be home, not just here in Beaver County, but like be home at my job too. So um was really excited to share that. But that's that's all for me. Ed, any last words? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Edward underscore Vento if you feel so obliged. And to any Ted Lasso fans that are out there listening, um, 
The creators of Ted Lasso have a new TV show on Apple TV Plus called Shrinking. Um, it's only released two episodes, but I can already tell it's going to be very similar to Ted Lasso and that I'm going to be laughing. And then two minutes later, I'm going to be bawling my eyes out. Uh, Jason Siegel and Harrison Ford are in it. So that is very much reason to check it out. And if you like Ted Lasso, very similar, very heartwarming. It's, yeah. All right. Good stuff. Uh, this podcast is not brought to you by Apple TV. I should be pointing out. For us, but, uh, <laughs> yes, but uh, uh, MLS season pass is certainly launched as well. Um, we had a very good article on that that I will link in the show notes if you're interested from me over at Last Word on Soccer that had a little bit of inside knowledge as to what's going on, what could be changing between the actual launch date and the start of the season and what all that evergreen content is going to look like. I'm sure once that actually gets ironed out, um, we'll start having conversations about the actual programming and everything as we are off to comment on what things look like on ESPN plus versus national team broadcast. Certainly interesting, but in any case, listeners, um, I want to thank our other sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, who are an official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and U.S. soccer merchandise, as well as the NWSL. Get your custom scarves, neck gaiters, or mask, or for all of those club teams or national teams at roughneckscarves.com, R-U-F-F, just to be clear. You can follow me on Twitter at LWS Matt Pollard. Check out all of our content at lastwordonsports.com, and then find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just search LWS Radio. You'll find us and a bunch of other great content from our last word on sports family with that listeners thank you for listening to us and we'll see you next time